Morning, class. Hi, I'm Keith Moore, and this is Faith School. Faith School's a good place. <laughs> faith School's a place where you come get your faith fed. What do we say? Where my spirit is fed, my faith grows stronger, and I learn how to be an overcomer. Uh, a lot of things no one else can do for you. No one else can believe God for you. They can believe God with you, they can add their faith to yours, but they can't do it for you. No one else can receive Jesus for you. No one else can receive forgiveness for you. And no one else can receive healing for you as an adult who has a relationship with God for yourself. Uh, there's an uh, uh, exception to that uh, as a parent. A little children, you can receive for them just like you can for yourself. But as they get older and know the Lord for themselves, you'll come to a point where you can't just do that anymore. And so um, as an adult, uh, we shouldn't just try to get other people to do things for us. You know, will you pray for me? Well, uh, thank God that they're, if they're a good prayer, but they can't do your praying for you. And they can't do your believing for you. And I've seen people sometimes say, well, you know, my, uh, my spouse or my mother's a good prayer or, or you know, and I, I just depend on that. Well, uh, that's uh, some reasons why you're in trouble because uh, they can't do it all for you, especially the more you know. When you know better, the Lord uh, expects more of you. And so um, here's the, the time and opportunity to come on into the class Get your faith built up to where you can do your part of believing God for yourself. Let's pray and, and release faith. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity, for your spirit, for your word. Open our eyes and hearts and minds and help us to see and receive things exactly what you would today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would look in our great textbook again, the Bible to John chapter 4, we've been for uh, uh, some days now on a series we're calling Faith for Healing. So we're feeding our, our faith in the area of healing. And we're taking the individual accounts that we see in the ministry of Jesus recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and studying them one by one. We looked at the healing of the leper. We looked at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We looked at the healing of the paralyzed man, and now we're down to the fourth one in our study, the healing of the nobleman's son. And that's in John chapter 4, and I'll begin reading this in the Amplified in verse 43. He said, but after these two days, Jesus went on from there into Galilee. Although he himself declared that a prophet has no honor in his own country. However, when he came into Galilee, the Galileans also welcomed him and took him to their hearts eagerly. 
for they had seen everything that he did in Jerusalem during the feast, for they too had attended the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was lying ill in Capernaum. Having heard that Jesus had come back from Judea into Galilee, he went away to meet him and began to beg him to come down and cure his son, for he was lying at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and miracles happen, you never will believe at all. The king's officer pleaded with him, Sir, do come down at once before my little child is dead. Jesus answered him, Go in peace, your son will live. And the man put his trust in what Jesus said and started home. But even as he was on the road going down, his servants met him and reported, saying, Your son lives. So he asked them at what time he had begun to get better. They said, Yesterday, during the seventh hour, about one o'clock, the fever left him. Then the father knew that it was at that very hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son lives, and he and his entire household believed. This is the second sign that Jesus performed after he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So this is a a wonderful case of a a young boy healed who was obviously in, in distress and right at the point of dying, the scripture said. And uh, one of the things about this that I like so much is that it is by faith alone in the word alone. Uh, You know, the Lord is so gracious. He's provided many different aids and helps to faith and healing. Uh, Laying on of hands is one of them. Um, Believers will lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Um, They're different degrees of anointing and ministry in this. And yet, you don't have to have hands laid on you to be healed. But that's a help, isn't it? There's also, uh, uh, there are times there will be word of knowledge where the Lord will uh, give through ministers uh, what's wrong with somebody and and the uh, strong anointing will be there to minister to it, but you don't have to have that to receive a healing. Uh, You can uh, join faith with somebody else. If two of you agree is touching anything, they ask, uh, but you don't have to have that. And in this case, uh, this boy did not have anybody Uh, pray over him, anybody lay hands on him. There was no prayer of agreement. There was no special anointing. There was no, uh, you know, working of miracles as far as a a gift of the Spirit, uh, uh, talking about what it was. Jesus gave a word. The man believed it and acted on it. And the boy was healed. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you like that? So simple and yet so powerful. So powerful. And we'll see as we study these different accounts that there were multiple methods involved. There were times Jesus laid hands on people and he'd lay hands on I don't know how many people. He said he laid hands on every one of them. And sometimes it talked about people scrambling trying to touch him. And it would say as many as touched him. And yet nobody touched anybody here. And still uh, the boy was healed. One thing we saw last week in studying about this healing is how it's tied together with honor. Uh, From the very beginning of this passage, it talks about how Jesus left uh, one area. He, um, you know, he was from Nazareth 
And then prior to this, he had he'd done some things in Jerusalem, and yet he had been shut down by his own people. Uh, and they, they scoffed and mocked and said, um, this is Joseph's son, you know, and Mary's son. Who is he saying he's anointed? And so the scripture said he could there do no mighty work. We might say it like this. He couldn't do any mighty works there. Now, a lot of Christian folks wouldn't even believe that. They go, well, no, that's Jesus. He can do anything he wants to. According to him, he couldn't. Now, you can believe tradition or you can believe what the master said himself. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Didn't the master say that? Then so, so this belief that Jesus functioned as God and just did whatever he wanted to any way that he wanted to, that's contrary to what Jesus himself said. No, uh, Jesus ministered as a man anointed with the Spirit. And uh, in ministering this way, the message and the ministry must be respected, believed, and received to see the manifestation of it and to see the benefits of it. And so in his own hometown, it said he couldn't. didn't say he wouldn't. It said he couldn't do mighty works there. Because of their unbelief, I'm quoting scripture, because, Mark 6, what, 5 and 6, because of their unbelief. So he didn't spend a lot of time there. You know, the Spirit of God uh, goes where he's appreciated. He shows up where he's respected. He manifests where he is uh, yielded to and where people respond with the respect and people who don't, who just shut down and, and are skeptics and scoff and mock and, and doubt and blaspheme, well, they won't experience it. They won't be bothered by these great miracles. And it'll seem like it's confirmation in their belief that there is no God, but they're the ones that are shutting themselves off from these things. How about you, class? Are we believers? We, yes. we are believers. The scripture said, Jesus said, these signs will follow who? Those that believe, not everybody, not those that don't believe, those who believe. And so you'll see uh, repeated references to the honor thing and the respect issue as far as seeing these miracles and these manifestations of God's power. Uh, we see that uh, when the the man that was at Capernaum, the nobleman who's a royal official, he heard that Jesus had come to Cana. He came down. This was a journey, uh, best I can tell, of some 15, 20 miles. And that might not sound like much, but you got to remember they did not jump in the car <laughs> and drive 50, 60 miles an hour to get there. So it, was, uh, it could easily take a day you know, depending on what you do. And even if you had a good horse, you don't run him all day long. <laughs> you know, you got to let him uh, walk and, and trot and this and that. So it, it, it was a, a bit of a journey, a uh, day or whatever. And so uh, he came down and he wants Jesus to come back with him to his house. And of course, you got to remember, he's a royal official. So he... I, I, Obviously, he fully expected 
Jesus to immediately comply. Because after all, he came and asked nicely. <laughs> right? I mean, and he is a royal official. And from the natural, Jesus, we know he's the king of kings, but walking among them at that point, he's viewed as a commoner. You know, Isaiah said there was no form or beauty about him uh, that would, you know, would cause us to notice him um, or, or attract us to him. He looked very normal to everybody around him. And so this man expected Jesus to immediately respond. And we looked at that with Naaman uh, back in 2 Kings 5 about how uh, Naaman came to Elisha's house. And Elisha didn't even come out. Sent a messenger down, and oh, the uh, Naaman was so insulted, and he got so he, he got flew into a rage, and they just turned and left in a, in a huff. Why? Because he said, "I thought surely he'd come out and call on the name of his God and strike his hand over the place. In other words, maybe lay hands on him or or close to him or or pray." See, he had it set in his mind what God. And the man needed to do to take care of him. Uh, I had the privilege of working in a, a healing school at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry for a number of years. And um, I encountered this more than once. I had a lady one time come up after the service and she had a list about that long and she handed it to me. That first time I've met this lady. And I said, what's this? She said, this is what you need to do to help me get healed. <laughs> And I mean, I was supposed to pray X amount of hours and I'm supposed to fast X amount of time. And, and, uh, and somebody said, what'd you do? Not that. I did not do that. I, said, <laughs> I wanted to say, uh, dear, if you knew what needed to happen, you wouldn't be here asking us for it to help you. Come on, can you see that? But there is so much pride coupled with ignorance in these areas, and people get these things in their mind of what ministers or ministry or churches or God is supposed to do for them and how it's supposed to happen. And if you get into that, then you can get in a place where God can't help you. Now that's a big statement because you got to remember you're not the one uh, calling the shots here. You're not. You're not God. You're. You need to come and humble yourself and ask questions. Ask him, what should I do? What do I need to do? And be willing to do it. And you can see why with Naaman, why um, uh, the Lord told the prophet, don't even go down and see him personally. Why? He's wanting, uh, this man has to make a change in order to receive a healing. He thinks he can come to God and basically uh, require and he even brought a lot of money. Remember that with him? All the gold and silver. and So he's going to basically require it be done his way. Then he's going to try to pay for it. And he can leave with all his pride intact. And that doesn't work with God. It doesn't work with him. Uh, you got to come and humble yourself. He gives grace to who? Amen. The humble. The proud he resists. And it's not a matter to, it's not about humiliating you. It's about you coming to your senses, coming to reality that you are not running the show here. Yeah. <laughs> and you're basically in charge of nothing. 
<laughs> where these things are concerned. <laughs> I know that's a shock to people's pride, but you need to come into reality, come back to reality because uh, God is real. He's not going to uh, play your pretend games with you and he's not going to conform to your fantasy. Everybody listening class. So um, the nobleman, I, I don't think he's uh, malicious in the least sense about this. Uh, he's very sincere. For one thing, he's so concerned about his boy. Can you see this? Are we, you can understand that. I mean, he's, uh, when he left his boy, he was almost dead. He was right at the point of death. And so uh, he knows they got a day's journey, right? Just to get back there, he's already been gone a day. And so um, he wants to get this thing on the road, right? He wants Jesus immediately to come with him. And um, uh, Jesus looked at him and said, uh, unless you see signs, you absolutely will not believe. And I, I'm sure that hit the man like a slap in the face. He's like, what? And then he just doubled down. And he said, please come. Please come. Hurry before my boy dies. Now, again, who's in charge? The Lord is the Lord. Right? God is God. Who's the healer? Not you. Right? He's the healer. So you don't come tell him how to do things. You come and ask. You, maybe you know it's his will, but you don't know the details of how to deal with this today and how to receive. You need to get that direct from the Holy Spirit. You need to hear from him. And there were other times that, um, you remember the centurion had the sick servant. We'll be studying that at some point. And um, he, he said, Lord, uh, my servant lies at home sick. And the Lord said, I will come. I'll come and heal him. He was ready to come. And yet the centurion said, no, you don't need to. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And when he said that, Jesus marveled. Now that's impressive to me. Isn't it to you? Jesus was impressed. And he turned around and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He said, boys, that's what I'm talking about. That's, did you hear that? Did you see that? I hadn't seen faith like that in the whole country. Well, his staff is in the country. Is that right? They're all. <laughs> what, would you like to operate in a faith that impresses the master? What a thought, right? What a, what a thought. We know it's possible. It happened then. It happened. It also happened with the Syrophoenician woman. And she was a woman that we, we have every reason to believe was absolutely, uh, you know, unbeliever, knew nothing about God. And yet, you can at any time make a choice to believe with no reservations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you'll do it and act on it, oh my, that's when the power of God shows up. But uh, uh, Jesus was so impressed because what? The, the centurion, 
is requiring nothing except the word. Oh, can you see that? That's what he said, and he, he went on to explain, he said, uh, I'm a man under authority. He's a soldier. I've got uh, people in, uh, over me. I've got soldiers under me. I tell one, do this, and he does it. I tell a servant, do this, and he does it. And so what's he saying? I'm acknowledging you have authority where this sickness is concerned, and if you'll just give an order, it'll obey you. Hallelujah. And that simple understanding is called great faith. There's only a couple of instances in the gospel accounts where we hear Jesus use that term. He said, what great faith. What great faith. You know, uh, thank God for it, but you and I have other advantages over these guys. We got the entire New Testament. We got the Spirit of God living inside us 24-7. Why can't we have some great faith? We can. And we should if we won't let this, you know, fear-filled world sway us and influence us and dominate us, dominate our thinking. So Jesus did not respond the same way to the nobleman as he did to the centurion. The centurion, he said, I'll come. I'll come. So he's ready to go. And you remember with the... um, uh, the ruler of the synagogues, the daughter that died, Jesus did go to his house. You remember that? He went to his house and ministered to her. But on this occasion, he's not going. He's not going. Why? Well, he's led by the Spirit. He only does what he sees the Father do. He only says what he hears the Father say. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Did Jesus say, I can't just go and do that? I have to hear from the Father. He did. Now, I know a lot of people that sounds strange to them, but again, you got tradition, and then you got what Jesus said. You want to go with what he said. Yes. And so, uh, uh, and one of the great things about that is if you keep saying, well, Jesus, he's God, he could do whatever he wants to, then that means you can't do any of that because you're not God. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to put everything that Jesus did in a category separate from and unattainable to you. But that's not true. Jesus did it as a man and is showing us how to do it. And it actually called on us to do it. He said, if you believe on me, the works I do, you'll do also. Didn't he say that? Do you believe on him? Then we should be doing the same kind of things, works that Jesus did. But he, uh, he didn't just respond and say, I'll come. In fact, he looked at him and said, uh, unless you see something, you're not going to believe at all. See, the Lord's always looking at what? The heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And faith is of the heart. Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart, man believes. And so the... Um, Nobleman's heart is not at a place of believing in faith. He's still walking by sight in this area. He is going to have to see Jesus come. That's why he didn't respond well when Jesus said, uh, uh, unless you see something, you won't believe. What's his immediate response? Please, come. He's just more urgent. Come, why? Because he wants to see Jesus come. (laughs) He wants to see Jesus pray for. He wants to see 
Jesus lay hands. He wants to see and then see the boy begin to respond and then he's going to shout. But that's too late for faith. Can you see that? That's too late for faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so uh, uh, they're at a bit of a standstill, if you will, because Jesus has told him, you're not in faith and you're not going to be in faith unless you see something at this point. And, and the man just pleads again, please come, come. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. This is where it all changed. Amen. This is where it all changed. And this is where one of the big places we need to put the emphasis and the next emphasis is the next phrase that comes after this. But the word is what changes everything. One word from God, Amen. hallelujah, changes your situation. What, anybody remember what uh, Romans 10, 17 says about faith? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And like we mentioned to you earlier uh, last week, uh, the word of God actually means word of Christ and it's rhema Christos. And rhema is the spoken word. It's the same word Jesus used when he said, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that comes out of the mouth of God. Uh, rhema and Christos is anointed. Every anointed spoken word. That's how God created the heavens and the earth, right? He said, light be. How many think or you know that was an anointed word, <laughs> right? It was an anointed word. It was an anointed word that released creative power. Can you see that's what changes this man's situation right now? Jesus looks at him and says, your son lives. Oh, hallelujah. Can you see this? There are junctures in all of our lives when you come into a challenging situation, you may think, well, I need money or I need healing or I need... No, you need a word from God. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me? Yes. You need the word, I should say. You need the word of God to you about this situation. And once you've got that, you've got it. Even before anything changes or any report changes, when you get the word from God on that situation and you're willing to believe it and act on it, you got it made. You've won before anything changes. Can you see that? Yes. Because it's the word that changes things Amen. when you believe it, when you act on it. He looked at the man. And the man's still looking at him with pleading eyes. He just pled with him again, please come, please come. Well, Jesus is not going to come because the, the father didn't tell him to come. But he's got something that he needs. He's got his answer. He said, go your way. Your son lives. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. And don't you think that word hit that man like, a, as they say, a ton of bricks? And now what's he got to do? What's he got to do? What's he got to do? It's not time to argue. It's time to act. Come on, can you see that? And he acted on it. And next thing you know, he meets them and what they say. Your son lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
and our time's up again for today. We'll see you next time, and you need to come back. We're going to finish this right here in Faith School. I've got a victory living inside. Thank you for joining us at Faith School. Class is dismissed for today, but you can watch this and other episodes of Faith School free of charge at faithschool.org. For more information, visit our website or call us at 941-702-7390.